And our text this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Hear now the very word of God. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would, not, or we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers... Do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask this morning that You would teach us from Your Word. That You would teach us, O Lord, in such a way that we might be salt and light in this world. That we might shine with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might show others what a difference You have made in our lives. And that all that we are, all that is in us that is good, comes from You, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I will start out this morning with an apology. Those of you that have young children may wish to take warning. Numerous times this morning, I'm compelled... I'm going to use a very harsh four-letter word. It's such a bad four-letter word that it won't even appear very often in the movies or on television, no matter how hard the rating. It's a word that strikes fear in the hearts of young people, that makes older men grumpy and annoyed, that causes consternation among women. And that four-letter word is the word work. 
Now, on some level, that's humorous, but on another level, it's, it's very true. Every other sort of four-letter word is used in common parlance and in society, but work is something the value of which is being lost. Work is something that we, as a society, seem to think that we are past. As we have developed more and more technology and more and more blessings that the Lord has given to us to make our lives easier, we think less and less of work. After all, who really wants to make a meal from scratch anymore? Don't you have a microwave? Who really wants to work on something with their hands? Can't you hire someone to do that? Who really wants to sit down and research and write a paper? Can't I just Google that and copy and paste? You see, we have come to a place in our society where we think that we deserve more than work. Work is something to be conquered. But the Bible teaches us that work is actually a gift from the Lord. Work is something that we were meant to do. It is in the very fabric of our being, even before the fall, we were meant to work. Now, sure, work today is far more difficult than it should be or than it was in the garden because of sin. But you see, the great blessing of that is it gives the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ an opportunity to show the difference that Jesus makes. Not just in what we do, but in how we view the world, in how we view our own circumstances and our lot in life. And this is an opportunity for each and every one of us to trumpet the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and in our communities. You can do this without having memorized an entire book of the Bible. Just by living your life and honoring the Lord. And so what I would like us to see this morning from this text are three things about work. Three questions I want to ask and answer. First, what is work? What is it made up of? How does the world view it? Can we understand that from the Scriptures? Secondly, how should we work? How should we go about it? Is there a difference in the way in which we approach work into how we perform our tasks? And then thirdly and finally, why should we work? Of course, that's the big question, right? The why question is always the important question. What is the purpose of work today? Is there anything beyond scratching out a living? What is work? How should we work? And why should we work? Well, let's begin now by looking at what work is. Asking the question, what is work? And the first thing that I want us to do is to look at work from the world's view. Even as we have done other times with other commandments and other differences that the Lord makes in our lives, there is a view of this that the world takes. And it was a view that was very present in Paul's day as he is writing these words. Work in the Greco-Roman world was not something that was enjoyed. As a matter of fact, work was something that slaves did. 
One of the key goals of life was to move as far away from any work that you possibly could. You didn't even have to hire people. You brought people in and made them do it. You assigned tasks to others. And you see, the key of life was to be able to get leisure time, to be able to relax and to philosophize, to think, to go on vacation, to enjoy all that life had to offer. Who could be bothered with doing work when instead I could be enjoying life? This was the view in Paul's day. It's not that divorced or dissimilar to the view in our day. So many people work just simply to get past work. How many of you know how many years left you have until retirement? How many of you or your neighbors know how many months you have until retirement? Or even, even days. You're counting down the hours. And you see, this is built into our nature. We think that there is something wrong with our toil. But there's another aspect to work that makes us a bit miserable. Isn't there? It's that work comes with hardships, and it especially comes with hardships for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in Paul's day... It was very, very difficult, if not impossible, for a Christian to hold a position of authority or of prestige. You see, Christians lost all of the, quote, good jobs. They were given all of the menial jobs that no one else wanted. They couldn't advance in the government. They couldn't advance in business. People didn't appreciate <coughs> their ethics, their unwillingness to steal their unwillingness to lie, their insistence on standing on a principle. And it costs them in the career path. Now again, that's not so dissimilar from today, is it? Perhaps you yourself have experienced that form of, let's call it, mild persecution. You're not being martyred for the faith, but you know that you'll never go any higher at work. You know everyone is looking for an opportunity for you to slip up so that they can count it against you. You know that you can't really make use of all of the gifts that you have simply because you profess the name of Jesus Christ. And then what would happen is a bitterness would set in with those believers. They would become hard and callous and bitter about the world they would begin to dislike their jobs, dislike their bosses, dislike their country, dislike work, and they would say, everything is horrible and against me. And if only God would come and wipe everything away, that would make me happy. We see that in our day and age too, don't we? The kind of hatred and vitriol that builds up in the Christian against our government, against companies, against business in general, thinking that somehow work itself is anti-God. But there is also a sense that even within the church, there is an attack on work. In Paul's day, there was bad theology that caused misunderstanding of the nature of work. 
Specifically, in the church at Thessalonica, they were very, very excited about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would have been the kind of church that would have closed every prayer meeting with, Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. They were sure Jesus was going to come soon. They were sure that the second coming was right around the bend, and they were very excited about it. There was only one problem, though. They took that excitement just a little bit too far. They said to themselves and to others around them, you know, the day of the Lord is near. There there really isn't any need to build up that business. Jesus is coming soon. Oh, you know, just patch that house together. It doesn't matter. Jesus is coming soon. Really, do you need to spend all that time in education and learning? Jesus is going to come back before you get to use it. And so they actually encouraged a divorce from the world, a bad witness in front of their neighbors because they were sure that they had figured out something that the Bible says no man will know. They had over-theologized and had had difficulties in their practical life. They said to themselves, why should we do anything? And this kind of philosophy or theology is alive and well in the church today, isn't it? Have you ever heard the phrase, why should you polish the brass on a sinking ship? After all, the earth is getting worse and worse and worse, and that's good because that means Jesus is closer and closer. Don't worry about anything. Just wait for Jesus. And so the church gives up on all of the tasks before them in the world. They give up on being good businessmen. They give up on the arts. They give up on writing, thinking there's no need for these things. It's bad teaching in the church. There's another set of bad teaching in the church about work. And that is this kind of dichotomy that there's some work that's good and there's other work that's bad. So you better get with the good work Stay away from the bad work. And this goes all the way back to the earliest days of the Old Testament and the Jews, that there is some kind of sacred and secular dichotomy. Well, okay, if you've got to be a doctor and save some people's lives, well, that's really good. But if you could be a monk and pray all day, oh, that would be good. Oh, so you help feed people and clothe people. Yeah, yeah, that's good. But if you could spend your whole day in silence contemplating eternity. That's real work. And you see, it leads to a class system of Christianity. There is a first class and a third or a fourth class. And those who are working in the world today, well, I suppose if someone has to, but let's try and be quiet about it. And what this does is it breeds in the church a disdain for good, productive, hard work. This is bad theology from Paul's day and even in our day. And in our day, the world has taken all of this and put it in together and we now live in a society that could be marked, I think, by another four-letter word. Lazy. Think about it. We complain when we open our web browser and it takes .34 seconds instead of 0.25 seconds. 
And you think it's a joke, but there are studies that are done and posted on the Internet about why you should switch from one browser to the other because it will save you four hundredths of a second. And we also begin to say there's no need to build things up. When was the last time, for all of our talk of infrastructure, anyone ever thought about building another Hoover Dam? Or another Golden Gate Bridge? Or Brooklyn Bridge? Or even another humongous skyscraper? You see, we have given up on this concept of being productive and on seeing our work rewarded by the Lord. And it has been replaced in our society with a sense of entitlement. Young people that are in college, I'm going to break a harsh truth for you. When you graduate, no one will offer you the vice presidency of a company. And if they do, don't take it, because it's a horrible company that would give you a vice presidency. But you see, this is what we think. We think we should immediately make six figures and be executives and have people who report up to us. We shouldn't have to actually work. We shouldn't actually have to start at the bottom and work our way up. We're beyond that. The sense of entitlement takes itself even into our education, doesn't it? We think, well, studying is for losers. Working hard and doing research, oh, that's old hat. Better to get study groups together and to have work together and to creatively cheat. Claim others' work for our own and let them claim ours. Can't we find a shortcut And we are perpetually in search of this kind of shortcut because work is something that is only a hardship to be endured rather than something that is put in our path by the Lord. This is the world's view that work is bad, that it needs to be avoided, that there's no reason to be involved with it. But what is the Bible's view? What is the Lord's view of work? Well, work is first and foremost a way to serve the Lord. It is honorable in and of itself. Do you see how Paul begins this passage here? Now, we command you, brothers, the language is strong, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is saying to you and to me, listen up, God is telling you this now that you need to keep away from anyone that thinks they're too good for work. Because you see, work is something that God has given to man. It is not a result of sin. For we see Adam being told to work and keep the garden in paradise. Now, the problem is work is affected by sin, just like everything we have. It is made more difficult. Genesis 3 makes that clear that Adam will then labor and it will bring, the earth will bring forth thistles and thorns. But, you know, we have to understand that we don't abandon other things just because they are tainted by sin. How many of you are willing to go home tonight and say, you know what? I should never have another emotion again. Because emotions are tainted by sin. I should never think again. Because thinking is tainted by sin. 
You see, the problem is to divorce the blessing of the Lord from the effects of sin. And to have a view of work that is God's view of work. Work is a way for us to use the talent that we have been given by God. And in this way, all work is equally important because we are all given various gifts by God. There are various effects of our work, but they are all for the same glory of God. And this applies wonderfully so to each and every one of us. You men who labor in the marketplace... You women who labor in the marketplace, you are called to work in a manner which is productive, productive for yourself and for others, that you can see that there is value. And you must work hard at that. You who work in the home, ladies, you are called to work hard in the home just because you don't file a tax return for all the work that you do doesn't mean it is not supremely valuable. does not mean it is not something you are called to do. does not mean it cannot have an effect on others around you. Young people, you have a job as well. And I don't mean just the few of you that are working in a restaurant or a shop somewhere. You have a job. It's called schoolwork. That's a really big four-letter word. Schoolwork. That is your job. You are called to work hard at it, to labor, to sweat, so that you might be productive and so that others might around you see how serious you take the task that is before you. And this does not start in high school, young people. This starts from your earliest of days. You have work that is before you. Labor for the Lord. This is an incredibly important issue to Paul because you see, we see it here in our text, but we have to understand this is not the first time that Paul raises this issue with the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he makes this same comment. He makes this same point to others. He says, we're telling you that you should work. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he repeats himself again. And now here, he comes back to the second letter. And you can imagine, in, in your sanctified imagination, Paul being a human pastor, getting just a little bit frustrated. Really, guys. Do I need to bring this up again? This is the third time. Did you not get it when I said you should work? Did you not get it when I said other people are watching you? All right. Now let me be really clear, he says. Let me command you to do something. And the word that he uses here for command is actually the word that the military would use. This is not a suggestion. This is not pious advice. He is saying to the church at large, Hey, soldier, listen up. Get in line. This is what you are supposed to do. And let me tell you, it doesn't come from me. It comes from the Lord. This is a very important issue to the Lord and hence also to Paul. But you see, there's a real problem caused here by this conflict between the world's view of work and the Lord's view of work. 
And so Paul has to write to them in a disciplinary fashion. Imagine this. Now I command you, brothers, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Make this very practical for you. How would you feel if I said right now from the pulpit, everybody, stay away from him because he's lazy. Stay away from her because she's a bad influence. She's lazy. Teach these people the value of working for the Lord. That's not exactly Mr. Nice Guy coming out of Paul, is it? He's not railing against the world here. He's not saying, you know, all those lazy people on the government dole, all those people out there, let's write articles about them. And let's post witty things on Facebook about them. And let's pass around YouTube videos about them. No, what Paul is saying is we should expect that out of the world. What happens in the church? Are you laboring for the Lord? Do you see the value in work? Are you showing the difference that Jesus makes? You see, because to be idle is not just to be lazy. It is to be rebellious and defiant against God. Because God has placed us in this world at this time to labor for His glory. And when we fail to do that, we rebel against Him. You see, this is much more than productivity. It is about a way of life that honors and glorifies the Lord. And so Paul has these harsh words to say for the church. He says, you know, when you are idle, it is not only bad for you, it is bad for others. And so others need to stay away from you if you're not willing to labor for the Lord. Keep your distance, he says. Keep away from them. We might think of it this way. If Paul were writing the second letter to the church at Katy, he would say, put them in your rear view mirror and step on the gas. Be away from them. Because you see, there is a sense of contamination that comes from thinking like the world. There is a sense in which we begin to then act like and be like the world. This is... What work is. Then the question comes then, how should we work? What should be the method of our work? And Paul gives us two examples here. First, we are to be a help. And second, we are to be an example. And he says this in an interesting way. He says, for you yourselves, in verse 7, know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to anyone. The first thing about work is, don't be a burden to other people. Carry your weight. The Lord has gifted you. He has given you skills. He has given you life. Use that. Don't eat what someone, what is someone else's. And you see, there is a societal problem that is around this. 
You see, there is a problem of patronage where there are those who feel guilty about what they have and there are others who are taking advantage of it and saying, if you don't give me some of what you have, I'm going to not like you and I'm going to make life difficult for you. And so there becomes this kind of uneasy alliance within the church that places burdens, a law, if you would, We talk all we want about grace, but if what we do when we live is we say, unless you give to me, you don't really love me. We deny the doctrine of grace. We're telling others they must work to be godly. They must work to be in God's good graces. They must work to have Christian fellowship. And that is the exact opposite of everything the Bible teaches. And so what Paul says is, do not be a burden to others. Carry your weight. The second thing is, is that this shows our good theology. We live out what we think. You see, we cannot allow our view of the future and our hopes and our plans to affect our present obedience. You see, we can't say, well, I'll let someone else carry me because all of these problems will take care of themselves. Isn't there a Bible verse that says God takes care of His people? So, I don't need to do anything. Isn't there a Bible verse that says all things work out for good? I guess I could just stand around. But you see, when we are not a burden to others, when we see present obedience as being important, then that shows to others that we value all of God's Word. Not just not being a burden, however. There is another sense in which we can very proactively be an example to others. And Paul spells this out very clearly in the beginning of verse 7. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. And this word for imitate is, is a very rich and descriptive word. It's actually the word that we get mimic. From it. What Paul is saying is, we were acting and we want you to see what we're doing and to follow after us. And I think the best way to understand how this works is actually kind of a negative example, but it will give you the flavor of it. Do you remember when you were young, or, or maybe you're young now, and one of your siblings decided it would be the height of joy To do everything that you do? If you raise your hand, they raise your hand. If you walk, they walk. If you sit, they sit. If you talk, they say the same words. And usually that degenerates into, stop repeating me. Stop repeating me. I said stop it. I said stop it. Would you cut it out? Would you cut it out? Mom! Mom! And it becomes obvious that there is an attempt to do everything the same over and over again. And you see, that's what Paul is saying. As Christians, we should be living lives that allow others to see what we are doing and to mimic us. And you see, this is something else that children do. The youngest of children imitate what they see, the smile that mom and dad have, the mannerisms, the words, even before they know what they mean, right? 
You see, what Paul is saying here is, you don't start with a theology lesson. So do not hear from me this morning that what you all need to do is go home this afternoon and do an extensive Bible study in the Greek and the Hebrew about the nature of work and then begin to conduct seminars in your home and in your neighborhood. What Paul says is, start by working. Others will see it. They will follow. Then they will ask questions. And it will give you opportunities to explain what is meant by working for the Lord. And Paul does not go to half measures here. Do you notice how he says he worked? He says, we worked with toil and with labor. That is hard work. It is burdensome. It is troubling. It is with exertion. It is with hardship. This is not a 32-hour work week. This is not only getting an hour for lunch. This is not knocking off at 4.30. This is hard labor that requires pain and exertion. Paul wants others to see that he is all in, that he can walk the talk. Do others see that about you? Because you see, that's another way that we can be countercultural, and that is that others see that we actually do what we say. How easy is it for the Christian church in America today to talk about all sorts of things, and then when we drill down, the church is no different. We rail and rail and rail about marriage, and our divorce rates are as high as the world. We rail and rail and rail against theft. And do you know that in the world today, more money is expended on ecclesiastical fraud than on world missions? Yes. Theft accounts for more of the church's dollars than world missions. You see, we must do what we say because it shows we actually believe it and are willing to change our lives on it. Paul worked hard. He worked constantly, night and day, he says. And he also worked purposefully. Do you see that? With toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden. Paul had an end in mind. And so this tells us the other side of the pendulum. If you are working today, simply to tell others you work. If you are working today to impress others, to find value in your life, in your work, that Paul says you're not working properly. It's not about who logs the most hours. It's about following a purpose that the Lord has set in front of us. We work hard, but we work with a purpose. So the third and final question is, why then should we work? Paul says, first and foremost, he starts at home for our own good. And he puts it in a way that gets our attention. He says, let me tell you, it's what I said before. If somebody's not willing to work, don't let him eat. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? It's against our modern concept of a safety net, isn't it? 
But you see, what Paul is not saying is, if you are infirm or have challenges, he's not saying if you're too young to work, he's not saying if you are trying to work and you cannot find work, what he is saying is, if someone is so lazy and self-centered that they think other people should take care of them, then you should tell them that the end of that is they don't get to eat. They might actually get it then. That they have to take care of themselves. That they have to work, not just for themselves, but for others. And this can be a hard lesson, but it can be a lesson that really hits home. Can't it? Perhaps the most famous example we have of that is the prodigal son who thought everybody should just take care of him. He didn't want to work. He wanted to be on Dad's gravy train. And he wasn't happy with the amount of gravy coming off the gravy train, so he said, Dad, give it to me all in advance. And then when he actually had to support himself, he realized that he should be grateful for everything he had been given. So we should work for our own good so that we understand the grace that we have been given in the Lord. Are you able to work? Thank the Lord He's given you a mind. Are you able to work? Thank the Lord that He's given you soundness of body. You see, this is a blessing that comes from God. There's also a good that comes to others. For you see, Paul says this, For we hear in verse 11 that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. The Greek here is just, it's funny. I know that's hard to say, the Greek is funny, but it's really funny. Because you see what Paul says is, if you're not willing to work, I hear you're not working, but you're working around. It's the same word almost. You're not willing to work, but you're willing to work over people. You're willing to get up in their lives. You're willing to to work for no good. You're willing to put all this effort into telling other people what to do with involving yourself in their business. Why don't you just be productive and work? A wonderful example of this is the con artist. Isn't it? Have you ever watched a fictional account of a con artist. I hope you haven't seen one in real life in your home. Do you know how much work it is to put on a con? It's an unbelievable amount of work. You have to know all sorts of things. You have to manage all sorts of things. It is not a lazy man's job. And you scratch your head and you say to yourself, why wouldn't you just get a job? Why do you have to work so hard to be in other people's business? And you see, Paul is saying here that when we work, we mind our own business, we are an example to others, and we are not a negative influence in others. There is a truth to the cliché that idle hands are the devil's playground. When we don't have anything to do, we take on a busybody nature. And so what Paul says here is, is that by telling others to do hard work, we are actually encouraging them and blessing them. And Paul breaks out a very anti-21st century weapon. He says, in verse 14, 
If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of them and have nothing to do with them so that they may be ashamed. He actually wants people to be ashamed. To be shamed for what they're not doing. When was the last time you heard that in America? And you see, the church can be a place that drives people to seek the Lord, to find answers in His Word when they are pushed out of their own bubble of world of how they think the world should operate. Working helps ourselves. Working helps others. But perhaps the most important thing about hard work is that it is done for the Lord's honor. Do you see the great encouragement here of verse 15? Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. You see, what Paul is saying here is don't rob the Lord of His glory. Hard work is good, Paul says. Hard work is something we should be doing day and night with hard labor. But that's not what makes you right with God. Your work is not what brings you in to relationship with the Lord. He actually goes so far as to say, you know those lazy people, we're trying to help them. Don't treat them as an enemy. Don't treat them as someone to be defeated or mocked. Treat them as someone to be helped. They are a brother to you. Because you see, at the end of the day, the Christian view of work is that work is a part of God's world and universe. And as we labor and work, we labor for the Lord. Not for money. Not for prestige. Not for self-satisfaction. Those things may come. But what we do when we labor is we labor for the glory of the Lord in all that we do. Because He is, after all, our Master. So this week, when the alarm goes off on Monday, way earlier than you want it to. And you are tempted to say, I think I could go in late today. There's probably going to be traffic. You know, I don't want to get up because I don't want to do that work that's waiting for me. I don't want to read that book. I don't want to do those worksheets. I don't want to study for that test. Remember, that the mark of a life of someone who follows the Lord Jesus Christ is not what I want, but what God wants. And remember that God has given you work as a blessing, as an arena and an opportunity for you to show His glory within your sphere of influence. Don't be afraid of that. Don't run away from that. Testify to the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ in all the labor that you do every day of your life. Let's pray.